0: We must be aware of God's providence, and we're going over all of Ruth too. I'm not going to explain it all. I'm going to show you how to apply it. God's fingerprints are all over this passage. First of all, back to the end of chapter one, Naomi and Ruth arrive in Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. This puts them in a position of finding physical sustenance for themselves. So the timing's perfect to meet their immediate needs. So on the scene comes Boaz, which sets the stage for him to be used by God to bring more hope than what they even imagine at this point in their lives. Boaz is noble. He's worthy. And do you know what he was before he was married? Anything? He was ruthless. A guy told me that joke yesterday. <laughs> thought I'd share it with you. <laughs> I'll let him know it was funny. I thought it was silly. So anyway, so Boaz is noble. He's worthy. He has a great reputation. Jessica Ricker, if some of you know, she said he was a hunk. I said that is out of context and not in scripture. So anyway, <laughs> I have to correct these young girls once in a while. So he's in good standing in the community, but most of all, he's a relative of a LeMaLech. Boaz is a property owner, which gives him some authority. And that gives opportunity for Ruth to end up gleaning his fields. So notice the language in verse 3. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. And 4, and behold, Boaz comes from Bethlehem. And 5, Boaz takes special notice of Ruth, whose young woman is this. The language being used is to grab the reader's attention to show that it's not a chance meeting, nor did luck have anything to do with it. God was orchestrating everything to bring hope to hopeless lives. The plight of these women was such that they were dependent on someone else to allow them to glean from the fields as they had no way to provide for themselves. And ultimately, God himself had made a way for them to be provided for because of the law he had established from Leviticus 19 and Deuteronomy 24 and Leviticus 23 The people were not to glean clear to the edges. I just have to stop and say, do you guys know there was a combine named Gleaner at one time? And when my dad cut fields, they always cut the corners. Well, trust me, the farmers cut those to the edge. That's why they've got to get biblical again, I guess. But anyway, um, but no, that was God's gracious way of taking care. I love that when you think about God has already gone before for these poor, whitteless, sojourners and outcasts to be taken care of. So Ruth and Naomi fit all the qualifications, and Boaz's character is such that he knows it's God who has blessed him and made him able to be a blessing to Ruth and Naomi. God's providence is at work. There's hope at harvest time. And having grown up on a wheat farm, harvest was always my favorite time of the year. But there was a lot of hard work involved, and that's what we observe in Ruth. She did not sit on the sidelines and wait for God to provide for her. She was proactive. She acted on her faith. She probably had knowledge of this law through Naomi. And she set out to find work that she could do. But yet God was still behind the scenes. Proverbs 16, 9, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. God is constantly at work in us, for us, and with us. We pray, we study, we seek his wisdom to make decisions, but it's God who is ordering all the events to accomplish his purposes. So it's these divine appointments, such as in the life of Ruth and Boaz, that prove Romans 8, 28 to 29. And I can tell you right now, I don't necessarily like this verse quoted to me at times. Don't just flip that at me (laughs) if you're not going to care for me. Does that make sense? It's kind of like you throw sovereignty at me, but you don't love me. Kind of like what Naomi was going through. But getting this verse right says, and we know, that that's, and we have confidence, that all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew. And why? To be conformed to the image of his son. We forget. God's working. What's the good he's working? And all of this to make you more like Christ. And Ruth had no idea what lay in store for her at this point beyond the provision for food. We know the rest of the story. Through this divine appointment, the Redeemer, the one who's known as our blessed hope, would come. So what might God be trying to bring about in your life by placing you in a seemingly hopeless situation? Are you confident, confident that he will bring good out of it? So many times we try to figure out what God is doing and get all bogged down in that instead of moving forward by faith to be proactive like Ruth and doing what's necessary, wise, and reasonable in your situation and then rest in what God has revealed about what he is doing, making us more like Christ. And aren't we sometimes tempted to think, what did I do to deserve this? So wouldn't it be much better for us, if we stopped to think about the Romans 8:28 truth in this situation, could it be we should think instead, hmm, how's this going to help me be more like Christ? Wouldn't we better be better counselors to each other if we talk like that to each other? Or how might God be allowing this to show how he's already transformed us? Which goes our faith. Jeff and I experienced that. Uh, You know, I've been praying for things in our marriage, and I saw it take place right there in the middle of that Garden of the God's freeway. So he can put his glory on display that he's already transformed. That's a pretty cool thing. So, So quit trying to figure out what God's doing. Act by faith and know that God, John Piper, is always doing 10,000 things in your life. And you may be aware of three of them. And yet, they make no sense to you. God's infinite wisdom always sees a way to bring the greatest good out of the most painful and complex situations. So trust him, love him, and they will all be good for you. So the morning of our accident, I had read chapter 8 from How the Gospel Brings Us All the Way Home by Derek Thomas, which is an amazing book. It was from the book club this summer. It, it's so good. And it happened to be on Romans 8, 28 to 30. It's as if God, by no accident, used it to prepare my heart for what Jeff and I would go through that afternoon. And as I look back on that chapter yesterday, as I was studying, I wondered if what helped me might help you. When you take a hit like we did that totals your car, you can know that you can be pretty shaken up by all of it. So interesting, I didn't notice I was shaking till I sat down at Qdoba, and it was like trying to hold a cup of water. It didn't, it didn't work very well. And by the way, the police were called. They never came. We waited two and a half hours, which has required us to trust in God's sovereignty and providence all the more. There's no police report. It's our word and pictures of the scene against the other drivers. Our insurance company is investigating it further, to determine cause and responsibility after we gave our testimony to our agent. And if you know me, you know how I did that. I told him the story. I drew him a picture. Then I showed him the pictures. I didn't tell him what I thought. And he said, so you would say you're not responsible for that accident. That would be what I would say. But the other driver (coughs) sees it differently. So, ultimately, the outcome is not dependent on the insurance company's conclusions. We have done our part, and it is in God's hands. So, from the book, I love these words. Nothing can blow you over when you are inside the walls of Romans 8.28. Outside of Romans 8.28, all is confusion and anxiety and fear and uncertainty. If you live within this massive promise, your life is more solid and stable than Mount Everest. Or in my case, Pikes Peak, which was my background. Jeff said, do you want to take a picture of that? I'm like, nope, and I don't care if I ever see it again. So, anyway, so John Piper again. The confidence that a sovereign God governs for your good, all the pain and pleasure that you will ever experience is an incomparable refuge and security and hope and and power in your life providence is working to make us holy so would we not all admit that the holy spirit has a lot of work to do in each of us to that end so why are we surprised by trials and things like this because god is at work to make us holy does not god have the right and wisdom to allow these challenging situations to accomplish his intended end even if it dramatically disrupts our plans and timelines so even though our world may seem like it's turned upside down by these hopeless situations, God's at work to turn our eyes upward. When you feel like it's upside down, God is purposely doing that to get you to turn your eyes upward off the circumstances and on to the one in sovereign control over them all. So our hope abounds when we are aware of God's providence in it all. So moving on to that, principle two. If we are to bound in hope, we must be amazed by God's grace. That's Ruth 2, 8 to 13. Ruth was actively seeking to find favor when she went out to seek work. That's stated in verse 2, verse 10, and verse 13. She was in need of grace, unmerited favor. Grace is bestowed on those who can't earn it, don't deserve it, and can't demand it. She was a woman, a foreigner, and a widow. Overall, she's at the lowest rung of the social ladder. She was also risking physical harm to go out and try to provide sustenance for her name, Omi. Don't forget, she's not just going out to work. She, this is dangerous for her. Uh, she's out, she knows someone from outside of herself needs to meet her physical needs. She needed protection and safety. She was vulnerable because she was a Moabite. So she's at the mercy of and purely dependent on the giver's ability and means as well as their active decision to grant her favor. Ruth is not aware of Boaz at this point, okay? But Boaz takes notice of her and was made aware of her hard work by his servant. And as a result, Boaz takes the initiative to interact with Ruth and grants her the favor she sought. She's the glean in his field she is to stay close to his women reapers and she's given access to the same water that the men drink which was not a cultural norm so boaz is extending more favor than she could have ever imagined he becomes the means through which god's grace was extended to her in acknowledging Ruth's desire to have Naomi's people become her people and Naomi's god to become her god Keep in mind, two factors at work here for Ruth to be the recipients of God's grace. She was seeking God, and God was drawing her. Jeremiah 29:13 says, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And John 6, 44, Jesus says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. So Ruth responded to God's drawing of her clear back in Moab which caused her to demonstrate where her hope now lie. She was obedient to God's commands by lovingly honoring her mother-in-law, leaving her past behind, and forsaking all other gods to pursue the one true God, to love him and serve him. And God would reward her for her faith, which Boaz prayed. Verse 12, The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Boaz is pointing her eyes upward to the one who's doing this all for her as she seeks God, and her faith is growing. Boaz went above and beyond, granting favor and grace to Ruth, and she knew it. He provided for their physical sustenance as well as the guarantee of his protection, which he had the prominent position and authority as a landowner to back up his promises. And what a beautiful response to this amazing grace. Verse 10, she fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner? Then again in verse 13, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. Ruth truly knew the meaning of amazing grace through Boaz's kindness to her. So as I studied that, I thought, am I still amazed by grace? Or has it become something you and I take for granted? We're not just saved by grace. We're sanctified by grace. We're glorified by grace. It's all grace. I think there's a hymn to that. If there's not, let's write one. Um, So we have much to learn from Ruth as to how to continuously be amazed by grace. Grace. She was humble, full of gratitude. She acknowledged her own unworthiness. And Warren Wiersbe says, Ruth neither looked back at the tragic past, nor did she look at herself and consider her sorry plight. She fell at the feet of the master and submitted herself to him. She looked away from her poverty and focused on his riches. She forgot her fears and rested on his promises. So, what an example to follow, especially when we consider the grace extended to us. Apart from God's grace being extended to us, we were in the exact same predicament as Ruth. Ephesians 2 11 to 13. Therefore, remember, this tells us to remember. It's good to remember from whence we have come if we're going to be amazed by grace. near by the blood of christ verse 16 to 18 and so that he might reconcile us both to god in one body through the cross he came and preached peace to you who were far off and to peace those who were near for through him we both have access in one spirit to the father it is only through faith in christ that we are able to be assured that we too can take refuge in god these truths are the means by which we are, can be amazed by God's grace to help us abound in hope, no matter how hopeless the situations seem. Psalm 91, 1 to 2 and 4. I get amazed that Hadley read this in church on Sunday. You know, just how God weaves all these truths for us. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. There is an illustration of a story, a true story, of a firefighter who came upon a mother bird that had been burned in the fire. And at the base of the tree, and she's at the base of the tree, when he moved the bird... She was killed by the fire, of course, but but underneath its wings came out her young birds, which had taken shelter under her wings, and they remained unharmed. Do you realize that's exactly what the grace of God has done for us through the cross? Jesus took the burning wrath of God's anger for us through paying the penalty for our sins on the cross, thus saving us from the just punishment of the fires of hell. And because of his death on our behalf, he now grants us life, which includes abundant life here, even in the midst of challenges. And we abound in hope now because Jesus has already solved our biggest problem. Anything else we go through pales in comparison to you as an enemy, me as an enemy, being reconciled to the holy God of the universe. So it just guarantees you and I that he'll be with us and for us through any other problems we face. And this is His sure and certain promise that when we find ourselves in the midst of what seems like hopeless, the end of Psalm 91, because he or she holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. I know it's purely by God's grace that I'm standing here today. I know that. So my life's a little different now because this has put things <coughs> in perspective for me. I don't know if I'll come out of it the next time, but I know I came out this time. And so I have, um, have a responsibility to proclaim his goodness to you all through this. So that you can take courage. You can take hope. You can go to God's promises and know that he will deliver you. He will protect you. So I was cr- I was driving. I was crossing Garden of the Gods Road. Any of you been there? You know how busy that is? Three lanes here, three lanes here. We wanted to go left to go see Garden of the Gods. I don't know why we didn't go right. Never would happen. But no accidents there. So anyway, the other car hits me. It's me right behind the front wheel of my car. So it wasn't a T-bone, because I probably wouldn't have made it. Anyway, I didn't see it coming. And all I could see was this black car with this lady right beside me. And this guy's pushing me so much that he pushes me into the left-hand turn lane of the westbound lanes. So he could have pushed us into traffic. But we ended up in the left-hand turn lane with our car in front, their car behind. Jeff says to me, you know, you never flinched. You had a death grip on that. I said, that was not me. I do not remember. I know that was God's angels putting us where we needed to be. Um, but anyway, um, so, and it was just odd. This is the reality of our world. <laughs> Nobody stopped to help. Here's what happened. Um after two and a half hours, so in the midst of these two and a half hours, there's people zooming by us like crazy, both ways. There's people honking and jeering at us. There's others that wanted to use our left-hand turn lane, weren't paying any attention, coming off to I-25 and coming directly at us, not seeing that we're there. So, indeed, the Lord was protecting us by his grace, showing his love and care for us to allow us to live another day and since then we've got to see him work on our behalf in ways that we wouldn't have seen if this didn't happen to us so it's increased our faith it's caused us to loosen our grip on the world i had to let my car go that was kind of weird to just give control to somebody else over my car anyway and ultimately to long for our complete and full redemption in our heavenly home And I have to tell you something. I'd ask God before we started this study of Ruth to help me see it in ways that were not familiar because I've studied it. People have taught it to me. I just didn't realize he was going to use a car accident to make that happen. (laughs) But again, it's no accident. So um, God's grace is truly amazing. And how he extends to us as demonstrated by Boaz in the next several verses will help us to know that if we are bound in hope, we must be in awe and completely satisfied with God's abundant provisions. We're at verse 14 to 18. Ruth and Naomi's hope is growing brighter and brighter at harvest time. And what a picture of Christ does for us by his grace as well, which helps us abound in hope. First of all, she gets to have a meal with Boaz. He treats her like one of his servants and he personally serves her. Do you see all these pictures of Jesus in here? I hope you do. It reminds me of the song. The mystery of the cross I cannot comprehend. The agonies of Calvary. You, the perfect holy one, crushed your son who drank the bitter cup reserved for me. Your blood has washed away my sin. Jesus, thank you. The Father's wrath completely satisfied. Jesus, thank you. Once your enemy, now seated at your table. Jesus, thank you. Not only is Bruce satisfied she has leftovers, And then when she works more and gathers from the extra provision, Boaz allowed her by telling his reapers to leave some extra for her. I thought that was so cool (laughs) that he's like, yeah, just take some more out and leave it there for her. It wasn't required by God to give her that much. He was going above and beyond. So you see the fingerprints of God again leading Boaz to show favor to Ruth. Boaz's favor goes further than Ruth or Naomi could have imagined feeding them from his own grain supply and feeding more than he was obligated to. He didn't just supply enough, but he went above and beyond what he was required to do. He was not just meeting their immediate needs, but providing for their future ones. You see, God doesn't just give you and I the bare minimum of grace when he saves us. Listen to Ephesians 1 to 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ blessed us in Christ with grace. Every spiritual blessing. You didn't earn it. You can't demand it. You didn't deserve it. But you give every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Verses 7 to 8, it says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. And again, from Jesus, thank you. By your perfect sacrifice, I've been brought near. Your enemy, you've made your friend. Pouring out the riches of your glorious grace, your mercy and your kindness, know no end. Lover of my soul, I want to live for you. God's grace will never leave us lacking to face anything that comes our way, no matter how discouraged, weak, frustrated we may feel in the midst of our challenges. Paul in the midst of his struggle with his thorn in the flesh writes, but the Lord said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest on me. And that's kind of what I'm getting to do today. For the sake of Christ, and this one's a little hard for me to say, but the Lord's helped me with it because I'm such an American that I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities for when I'm weak, then I am strong. So it's easy for us to be content and satisfied when things are going well. And then oftentimes we become comfortable. Or perhaps there's a danger of us becoming conceited because of what God has blessed us with in the way of knowledge or giftedness or experiences or service for him. Paul was given the thorn in the flesh so that he would not become arrogant because of the surpassing greatness vision of the third heaven. So when we become somewhat settled in our comfort zones, even if there's no blatant sin involved, God can orchestrate events that will have that we will have greater dependence on him and be given opportunity for his grace to be our strength, his power to be seen instead of ours, not our own abilities. So that kind of grace put on display witnesses to a lost world that Christ is in us and because and is real. Because we can't respond in these ways without Christ doing that in the midst of seemingly hopeless situations. So once again, Jeff and I were able to experience this in the midst of the accident. After we made sure everything was okay and called the police, Jeff and I paused to pray in our car together. And we prayed for strength, wisdom. And that God would work in a way that put the gospel on display. And it was amazing how God answered that prayer by us being able to remain calm, even in the midst of anger and accusations by the other driver. It's always kind of looking for him to go towards his pocket. He never did that because people do weird things these days. So Jeff did an amazing job of loving and supporting me and not being angry at me. And we were able to be kind and cooperative to look out for their best interests as well by sharing the insurance and the driver's license information um, because the police never came. We now have their names, too. And we pray for them that they would see that difference in us. And besides, it's kind of funny. She didn't get all of the the na- stuff from me that she needed, so she calls me the next day. Her name's Penny. And she goes, hi, Shirley. This is Penny. <gasps> I guess we're friends now. So (laughs) anyway, I don't know what God can do with that, but he can probably do more than I can imagine. So knowing that God's grace is sufficient for the moment allows us to abound in hope because we know that it's the grace that's going to lead us to our eternal home, which fits with God's ample provision to get us home. Because you should be wondering, how did you get home? Well, it was Sunday. So, no rental cars are open on Sunday. Call Enterprise on Monday. And the guy was so excited. He says, oh, yes, I have your state farm reservation. Would you like me to complete it for her? I said, well, sure. It's Monday. He says, well, I'll have that ready Friday at 3 o'clock. why are you so happy? So, (laughs) so, this is the world you're living in now, so be prepared. So, (laughs) So, I look at Jeff, and I said, you know, there's people I think. That would take care of us because we talked to one person the night before and he was struggling a little bit and I said you want me to call her and so by 10 o'clock we had the ball rolling got a friend from Colorado Springs to drive us to Rocky Ford I made an adventure out of it for her told her she'd never been on her own so (laughs) we were gonna have fun and then a dear friend who sat in this room who wouldn't want her name to be mentioned came and got us four o'clock And Jeff drives us in a little after midnight, and he apologizes that he didn't get us home before midnight. I'm like, I don't care. I'm home before Friday at midnight. So anyway, (laughs) so God provided in that way to get us home in a day. And this friend can tell you how rattled my brain was. But anyway, then another guy from GBC texted me, and he said, I want to get you a car. And I said, okay, just don't put my name on Facebook. I don't want to talk about all of this. So he starts his little network. And by Friday afternoon, um, and I'm going to say it it was Stoss and Eli Truen. And they put a car in my driveway, and uh, it works fine. I will say nothing else. (laughs) So anyway, so God provided for that as well. So In the midst of this, I've gotten to see God do things for us that seemed very impossible. I hope that encourages you. So it just gives me a greater ability to bound in hope with whatever may be coming next. And I got the thinking out of all of this, wouldn't it be sad if my contentment were to come from all these issues being settled and a new car sit in my garage? See, we still don't have the money to go buy a new car. It's still not in the bank. But wouldn't that be sad if that would be my happiness and my joy? It's a far greater and better things that God makes us wait on him to work things out so our trust will grow. Another thing that he's taught me is to not take matters into my own hands so I can see his hand work. That's not easy for me. Can you believe that? <laughs> it's the American way. You You do this, but... I don't know how many times I could tell you that he has stopped me, clearly, to wait. And I have great stories about that, but I don't have time. So our security does not lie in what the insurance companies might do, but in what Christ has already done. To purchase me with his blood, that I have eternal security, and he ensures it with his resurrection from the dead. So what about you? Are you fully satisfied in the same way? We need to keep our hearts in check so they do not seek for satisfaction elsewhere. You might ask yourself, because I have to, how would you complete this sentence to see if you're truly satisfied in Christ? If I had the insurance money in the bank, then I would be satisfied. If anything other than who Christ is and what he's provided is in that blank, we're in trouble. So... Instead, should we not say, because I have Jesus, I am satisfied, irregardless of my circumstances. So, if we're to bound in hope, we must be anticipating God's redemption. Ruth 219 19-23. It's the end of the day. Ruth returns to Naomi, who asks where she gleaned. Ruth reveals it's Boaz. Can you imagine the look on Naomi's face when Ruth told her that? God is making a way for hope to shine, all the greater for her. Boaz has the potential to be one of their redeemers, and Michelle's going to talk about that more next week. This is the turning point in the story, and their despair begins to fade. The worn-out woman who saw nothing but calamity and suffering has glorious hope for their future provision and protection. Naomi goes from blaming God to blessing God. She moves from bitterness to gratefulness and expresses it with her words in verse 20. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. God has said love was moving in Naomi's heart to soften it, enabling her to respond completely different than what she did when she came from Bethlehem. Now she can see that goodness and kindness of God instead of just his sovereignty. So she now has hope that flows out of God's love and providence. You put those two together. That's how you get hope. So what a change has been wrought in Naomi's heart. So ladies, therein lies our only hope in being redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ, who would come from the line of Boaz. We are in a desperate situation with no hope, being enslaved and mastered by sin. And by redeeming us, Christ buys us off of that slave block of sin and sets us free to serve him as our master. He's the one who's at work to fully redeem all the wasted years, which I have prayed for a long time in my life, and I get to see him do that. And when things look hopeless here on earth, we should with great anticipation look for that fullness of our redemption when we're united with Christ in our heavenly home. So when things are looking chaotic here, do they look chaotic to you? My fourth through sixth graders agreed with me immediately. Do you? Yes. Luke 21:28. But when these things begin to take place, straighten up, lift your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. And to that end, we've been redeemed. Our lives are forever changed. We live differently in anticipation of our full redemption. Titus 2, 11 to 14. Look that up sometime. So we don't need to be bogged down with pity in our seemingly hopeless situations or trying to figure out what God is doing. The end of Titus 2 says we are to be zealous for good works. Um, Don't let the challenges of life keep you from being zealous to do those preordained good works. When Michelle asked me to teach this, I did not answer her for probably a week because I had to be like, boy, I don't know if I can either strength-wise, mentally, or emotionally, do it. And finally that Sunday, um, it's like, it's not about me. It's about God. And I said yes to her. Besides, she wanted to go to a Chiefs game, so how could I disappoint her? (laughs) She told me she was submitting to her husband. So. (laughs) No, yeah. (laughs) So. Just be encouraged by these words from Billy Graham. The will of God will never take you where the grace of God cannot keep you, to which someone has added where the arms of God cannot support you like those wings, where the riches of God cannot supply your needs like his provision, where the power of God cannot endow you. Everything happens for a purpose, and we may not see the wisdom of it now, but can trust and believe in the Lord that everything is for the best. Hebrews 2.10 says, For it was fitting that he, for whom and by all things exist in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Why should it be any different for us? James two, one, two to 4 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Steadfastness has its full effects that you may be perfect, complete, Lacking in nothing. So see, if we don't go through trials, we're lacking in something. So don't be praying that God puts you through the trials. Let God decide what he's going to do. But be prepared for the trials. It's all part of bringing us safely home to glory. And with that, I want to leave you with my final illustration from the day of the accident. When we got all got out of our char- cars to check to see if everyone was Okay. There were two little boys that had been in the back seat of the other car, probably about nine and six. Standing in the turn lane with them, we noticed that one of them did not have any shoes on. There was debris from the other car. There were three lanes of traffic that had to be crossed to get them to the other side. There's no stoplight there. While the mom grabbed the youngest one's hand, now mind you, the the driver, dad, stepdad standing over there, Jeff swooped the older barefooted boy up, carried him across the other side of the street. It wasn't about who was at fault at that point. It was about getting that helpless young boy delivered safely to the other side so he could go up the street to his home. Isn't that what Christ does for us as our Redeemer? Our lives at times can seem like a wreck. And at times, our choices and sins lead us to cause damage and leave debris strewn about. At times, there's such destruction, and it all seems hopeless, and we may feel like it's not even worth fixing. Like when they decide to total our car, I'm pretty sure it's going to be crushed like a pop can in a junkyard. But irregardless, there are several things you can be sure of. Jesus is all about forgiving even our worst of sins, because he was crushed for our iniquities. Jesus will not abandon us to fend for ourselves in the midst of the great danger that surrounds us, whether it's caused by us or someone else. He's the one who walks with us through the valley of the shadow of death, and we need fear no evil. He will not leave us or forsake us, and nothing can snatch us out of his hand. And just as he lifted Naomi's head through the hope of redemption, he does the same for us. As I stood there and saw my handsome husband heroically carrying that little boy across the street, I could clearly see that that's what Jesus was going to do for me. Not just to get me home to Hutch, but ensure that I get safely home to heaven. So may we all together strive to abound in hope by applying these principles to our lives. I'm grateful that God gave me the opportunity to share with you today what he has taught me. Just another reason I can say that it was all worth it. I couldn't say that at the time. <laughs> but you can now. It's you see Isaiah 41 is beautiful. It talks about when he when you go through the fire, when you go through the flood. You're not there yet. But he's going through with us. It says he'll uphold us by his righteous right hand. So I just hope it encourages you as well that just as he lifted Naomi's head out of her circumstances and being downcast to begin to look heavenward and gaze upon his goodness, he can and does the same for us no matter what surrounds us. So I'm going to finish with another song that Hadley sang because it's appropriate. As we go forth, our God and Father help us daily in the fight that all the world might see your glory and your name be lifted high. And in this name we overcome... For you shall see us safely home. So let me pray. Heavenly Father, I'm so grateful that I get to be with these ladies. But I'm mostly grateful for how you are completely trustworthy and how you use things for us to declare your, pro- your praises. And I do pray, Lord, as they think on these things, as they study, that they will, too, take a look through Ruth for your kindness and your goodness in redeeming our souls so you can see us safely home. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Recording for a while.